the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody. This is the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. And it's, it's been a while since I've welcomed you happy warriors, isn't it? So uh, let's say welcome to all you happy warriors, you eager devotees of the Rabbi Daniel Appen Show. All of you spiritually grounded in uh, everything that is life-affirming. You're all devoted to your faith, your families, and yes, your finances and your friends knowing that you have the ability to triumph over those who intentionally and also who unknowingly promote a dark abyss of satanic, secular socialism and all the many horrible social progressive pathologies that it generates. When I promise on this show to reveal how the world really works, it's in the hope that you will help defeat those pathetic creatures of modern secular fundamentalism, those orphans of history who possess neither Christian fortitude nor even pagan ferocity, which would almost be welcome. Those hideous hermaphrodites and fanatical feminists who run our media, education, and government bureaucracies, who possess neither the strength of men nor the intuitive wisdom of women. Oh, but they manage to inflict plenty damage nonetheless. Anyway, here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, I commit to help you transform the reality out there, mainly by doing my best to bring to you the intellectual ammunition that can produce a unified response from all of us of goodwill. Now, I'm talking of this show, I'm recording this show. Um, it's, it's not live, of course, I am recording it. Uh, just the day after the uh, shooting and murdering of five individuals at the newspaper offices in Annapolis, Maryland. Now, Annapolis, as you know, is the capital of the state of Maryland, and uh, this newspaper is pretty old, goes back a long time. Annapolis is a charming little town right on the shores of the Chesapeake Bay, and it's a very old town. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's worth a visit. It's, it's picturesque and lovely. And now it has been tarnished by a horrible crime. Jared Ramos. Uh, Jared Ramos, um, who uh, has had an ongoing feud with the paper, He's a guy who seems to sort of harbor grudges. He also 
began um, spooking out a woman he met on Facebook. I think it was on Facebook. And uh, she eventually, in, 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 in terror, she, she claims she actually moved states to get away from him. He himself is a resident of Maryland, one of the outlying suburbs of Baltimore. And uh, he, um, yeah, he went, went in with a shotgun and murdered five people at the newspaper. Now, that's about as much as I'm going to say about this. Uh, the reason I've explained before, uh, number one, I like these shows to be evergreen. There are plenty shows that are news-related shows. There are plenty shows that, as a result of being news-focused, uh, become stale within a few days after their production. I prefer for these shows to be perennially useful. And uh, so for that, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the news. However... Uh, what I will do is discuss some of the intellectual ammunition that we can all use in analyzing and understanding what it is that's going on, and perhaps even more importantly, to analyze and understand some of the responses to this particular event that you encounter in the media all the time. And so, uh, as far as the information is concerned, uh, I'm sure that by the time you hear this, there's already going to be more information about it. You know as much as I do, and if you want to, you can even know much more than I do by just spending a few minutes online and uh, taking a look about it. So I'm not going to tell you any more about what happened or what didn't happen, but we certainly should do a little bit of analysis of uh, what happened and, and the way it is being reacted to in the media. Okay, so uh, three points I'm going to discuss. The first one is that um, the reaction has been real but muted. Obviously, had it been five children shot in a school, it would have been much bigger. It is possible that had the weapon been uh, handguns instead of shotgun, uh, it's possible that might have been more of a factor as well. I don't know. But that it would have created a far stronger reaction had it been uh, children at a school, I don't doubt for a moment. And I don't think that's a good thing. What that observation tells me um, is that things are emotionally driven today. And that is very damaging to a culture. You know, let me, let me just remind you of something which I speak about from time to time, right? But um, look, you have things you want to uh, do with your life. There are accomplishments you want to achieve. There are things you intend. All of that depends on continuity and predictability. For you to be able to live your dreams, you've got to be in a society that is to some extent predictable and to some extent um, continuous and stable. When a society begins to react emotionally to things, watch out. It's a very big problem. And this is entirely emotional because there is no objective reason to regard the murder of children 
as more serious than the murder of adults. If anything, one could probably make the case, which I'm not going to try and do, uh, of the reverse. Right? You could say that uh, uh, adults may have dependents. Uh, some of the people who were killed, they might have had uh, spouses, they might have had children, they might have had people who depend upon them. That makes their death a, a bigger tragedy, right? Uh, you could say that uh, that their lives are already on track, whereas with children, anything could happen. You know, children have accidents. So, look, none of this makes any sense. And all I'm saying is that uh, in a stable legal system, there is no difference in murder if you murder a child or if you murder an adult. Murder is murder. And uh, it's disturbing that the reaction when children are murdered is so overwrought and immense and 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 unlimited uh, whereas when it is adults that are murdered uh, it's it's a lot quieter and if it is a case of adults being murdered in a less spectacular fashion then it largely gets ignored right um the um when a murder is committed by an illegal alien, somebody who migrated illegally to the United States, usually, unless it is forced to the forefront, it's not big news. These things are problems. When a society reacts emotionally, it is a very dangerous warning sign. So that's my observation number one about the Capitol Gazette shootings in Annapolis, Maryland on June 28th. Uh, my second observation is the uh, routine and obsessive preoccupation with a search for motive. Why did Jared Ramos uh, kill these five people? Why did he do it? Okay, so let me explain something here that... Uh, again, is, um, is, I know, unconventional, but I think important nonetheless, which is that the motive doesn't matter. Uh, this is a little bit similar to when hate crime legislation was passed in America. And, uh, and I said at the time, uh, publicly on the radio show, I said that, and I also wrote about it extensively, I said that uh, this society, this civilization, will ultimately come to rue the day that hate crime legislation was passed because it is fundamentally flawed. Again, back to the idea of living in a predictable society, in a continuous society, to make society's response to the same crime different because of what we think was in the mind of the perpetrator is a very, very big problem, right? If a, uh, if a person of one color murders somebody else of the same color, or if he murders somebody of another color, the punishment could well be different because it now gets ruled a hate crime. This is an enormous problem in society. It removes predictability. And it turns motive into a sentencing factor. Why this is so dangerous is that it hands over enormous prosecutorial power to the government. 
it means that the government has the ability to prosecute you more aggressively or less aggressively at its own choice simply by invoking hate crime legislation. This is a bad thing. Ladies and gentlemen, it is far safer, far more secure, and far more predictable to live in a society where we are judged on our actions, not on what somebody thinks is in our hearts or in our minds. Only God knows really what's in our hearts. Most of the time, I'm not even sure I know what's in my own heart, let alone what's in yours. And so uh, a very, very bad principle is at work there. Uh, stop asking about the motive. You may never know it. And what's the point? Why waste all those tax resources? Why waste it? on this pointless and meaningless search for a motive. What's the difference? Well, that, of course, <laughs> comes back to this dream of if only we find the right socioeconomic political button to press, we can end mass shootings. And so this is why people plunge headlong into the traps of, oh, if, if, if we can just take away all guns, that'll end mass shooting. Here's another one, by the way. Uh, if we can only stop boys being raised by in fatherless homes, we can also eliminate what percentage of mass shootings? Over 90%. That's right. Over 90% of shootings are committed, mass shootings are committed by people who did not have, by men, who did not have fathers consistently acting as their fathers in their uh, growing up years. So I understand, right? Let's, let's ban, or why don't we imprison right off the bat boys who were raised, right? as soon as you hit 21, if you were raised without a father, you're in jail, lifetime term, right? That makes as much sense as banning guns, because these things will not end these mass shootings. They won't. And searching for motive won't end these mass shootings. When we come back, uh, I'll tell you what a, a very sweet person wrote in a comment to uh, one of our shows on our website. I'll tell you about that. She said something nice about Susan and, and me, which I had to demur on. I had to contradict her. Uh, tell you about that. Meanwhile, I also want to let you know that, uh, especially for listeners of this show, uh, very special deal. I mean, when I say special deal, you can pay more for a cup of coffee uh, than you would for Boost Your Income, Three Spiritual Strategies for Financial Success, and uh, it's on the website. It's a, it's a one-hour audio program. The reason we created this in audio form is because it's something you actually need to hear more than once. And so for people who are uh, serious about transforming their financial destiny, uh, you, you want to listen to this. Listen to it while you're commuting. Why not while you're exercising or if, if you're walking the dog or, or singing to the goldfish or, or whatever else you're doing? Uh, you could be listening to this uh, one-hour program. And I say that because there are many things that we know 
but do not benefit from, right? Uh, I know what I shouldn't be eating. Does that stop me eating those things? No, of course not. I know I should be exercising more. Does that make me? No, of course not. Because the most crucial distance in improving our lives is the distance of about 14 inches from our heads to our hearts. For something to be in our heads doesn't do anything at all. It's only when it moves to the heart that we do something, right? Everybody knows that uh, uh, driving at high speed is, uh, is more dangerous than driving at a moderate speed, right? So it's very simple. Your, your reaction time becomes more relevant. You cover more distance in the same moment's instance of reaction time. There are a lot of reasons. Uh, the likelihood of um, uh, mechanical dysfunction, there are lots of things there are lots of reasons why traveling at a moderate speed is safer than a fast speed. Now, you know that, I know that, and yet there I am zooming down the road at well beyond the legal speed limit, let alone moderate speed, uh, and that's just because my car is congenitally incapable of traveling at a moderate speed. And then all of a sudden, I swing around the corner and I pass a, uh, a mangled wreck with ambulances there and three police cars parked there. How do you think I drive for the next hour? <laughs> you got to see me. I'm like a model driver. Speed limit, moderate speeds, uh, both hands on the wheel, 10 past 2, there, or 10 past 10, I should say. <clears throat> uh, what, what changed? Any information? No. Whatever I knew about high speed then, I knew now. Whatever I know now, I knew then. What's changed? All that's changed is that seeing an accident moved the information from my head to my heart. Logically, if it's left only to the head, I should have continued speeding because the fact that there were three uh, police cars parked at the wreckage means that there's likely less police car resources up ahead so I can speed in even greater safety. But you see, when I saw that, it moved the information from the head to the heart. And we change our behavior in accordance with what happens in our hearts more than what happens in our heads. And so certain very important information from ancient Jewish wisdom, information that needs to make that distance, that travel distance, that jump of 14 inches, uh, I usually try and make that available on an audio basis because when you hear it a few times, you are able much more easily to allow that information to penetrate your heart and not just remain in your head. So it's called Boost Your Income, Three Spiritual Strategies for Financial Success. And if you go to the website, you'll see it there. It's rabbidaniellappin.com. rabbidaniellappin.com. Okay, so uh, hop in there and uh, take a look at Boost Your Income, and also make sure that uh, you are able to take a look at the uh, most recent issues of Thought Tools, of Susan's Musings, um, and of Ask the Rabbi. You can also go back and look at earlier ones, and you can also make sure that we have your email address so that uh, if there is any important information about the show, we can convey that to you as well. So all of that at rabbidaniellappin.com. Back with you in just a moment. Ancient solutions to modern problems. 
This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, on demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin, and Retirement Curveball is a book by a finance expert that I respect, Dr. Tom McPhee. Whether you are thinking about retirement, are already retired, or have never given the big R even a thought, now is the time to welcome the contents of this book into your mind. The book is filled with compelling aha moments and will motivate you to make some highly effective changes in how you manage your money and your life. I know Dr. Tom McPhee and his terrific book, Retirement Curveball, and I do recommend it. Get the book at retirementcurveball.com or on Amazon. Rabbi Daniel Lappin returns with more of How the World Really Works on the Blaze Radio Network On Demand. Welcome back, everybody, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I remind you that the more that things change, the more we need to depend upon those things that never change. One of the things that we have to remember never changes is that we must judge one another by actions, not by thoughts. We must judge by results, not by intentions. Okay? And uh, for that reason, I said I would tell you about something that uh, somebody said, a compliment that Susan and I were paid on our website at rabbidaniellappin.com. If you want to read the original compliment and my response to it, you would just go to rabbidaniellappin.com. But uh, essentially what this uh, charming lady said was that she loved watching our daily television show at uh, tct.tv. And uh, that's the ancient Jewish wisdom show. Again, you, at our website at rabbidaniellappin.com, you can find uh, a link to watch the show every day if you're interested. Anyway, she was a rabid fan of the show. She loved it. And uh, and the truth of it is that one of the nice things about the television show is that Susan and I do it together. And because it is not rigidly scripted, you actually get to see, uh, you know, the very natural and normal interactions between us as husband and wife. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there, there are times where, uh, you know, let's just say that uh, we both probably reveal more than we would be comfortable revealing if we thought we had a choice about it. But since it is a, a live recorded show uh, that, as I say, is not meticulously scripted, uh, our, we, we just come across the way we come across, the way we are. Uh, and, you know, t- at times it's probably, you know, look, uh, I'm quite sure there are moments where uh, re- where avid uh, watchers can see a flicker of annoyance flit over one of our faces, either Susan's or mine, when the other interrupts a stream of thinking. You know, and it, it happens because you get excited about something, the other person is talking, and you just pop in and say, oh, yeah, that reminds me. Well, wait a sec, I haven't finished what I was going to say. Well, um, and, you know, people notice that as well. But most of the time, it's anyway. So this woman writes, and she says um, she loves the show, and she mentions a few other things. And then she says, you two have, the two of you have beautiful hearts. And I responded, and I said, you know, obviously, thank you, and I I appreciate the the thought and the sentiment. 
but let me uh, let me do you the honor of responding in full honesty and that is that uh, number one you don't actually know my heart it is possible that I have a, a dark and sinister heart but that I have uh, managed to overcome it in terms of practice okay not saying I do hope I don't but uh, to say that we have beautiful hearts number one you cannot possibly know and number two it's also irrelevant because what really matters in a culture in a civilization in a society in a family in a business in a club in an association in a friendship what really matters is not what's in your heart but it's how you behave it's the things you do not the things you think really really important uh, it's a it's a huge and uh, and crucial principle in ancient Jewish wisdom, and so I would much rather somebody behaves beautifully towards me for bad motivations than somebody behaves abominably to me for beautiful motivations. Right, um, somebody who is just so desirous of seeing me get to heaven because he loves me so much that he kills me i don't think so thank you on the other hand there could be somebody else who you know doesn't care much for jews in general rabbis in particular and lapins in super particular but for his own reasons he behaves with with scrupulous integrity toward me right i love that because we do not probe the motivations we probe the actions and so uh, going back to the uh, mass shooter in annapolis maryland on uh, thursday the 28th of june uh, yeah i don't really care about his motivations it doesn't matter wasting resources on trying to uncover it pointless really a waste because there is absolutely no way that you are going to be able to prevent similar occurrences in the future by knowing what motivated him around this time okay that having been said i'm now ready for point number three you probably don't remember point number one and two point number one was the emotionalism of it that school shootings arouse huge emotional response, shootings of adults much less so. Uh, point number two was the obsessive search for motive, waste of time. Uh, point number three is, I know why he did it. <laughs> it. It doesn't mean I know his motive, but I know why he did it. And this is perhaps what I consider to be uh, the most important part of the discussion on uh, this school shooting or any other shooting or any other horrible action. Uh, for instance, on exactly the same day, on Thursday, June 28th, um, a guy called Fernando Lavano, who by all accounts, hardworking guy with a solid job, 37 years old, father to three children, is walking to work in the morning and two thugs in their early 20s 
at the time I'm recording this, only one has been caught so far. His name is Luis Rivera, 22 years old. Uh, they're crossing a road in opposite directions, and Luis Rivera, out of the blue, takes a huge swing into the face of Fernando Lovano, knocks him out cold. Lovano, fall, and you can see on the video, by the way, it's sickening that his head hits the ground with a horrible thud, and indeed he has a skull fracture. He's in critical condition. And these two young thugs not only walk off high-fiving each other. Yes, there's security camera footage. They're high-fiving each other and laughing. They actually stop, turn around, and take pictures of Fernando Lovano out cold on the ground. As if that's not enough horror, all this took place in the Bronx, in New York, by the way, same day as the shooting. Uh, the, uh, as if that's not enough, three or four bystanders come over to where Fernando Lovano is lying in the ground. Do they help him? Do they kneel down? No. They rifle through his pockets and steal his possessions. His cell phone is taken, his wallet is taken, his ID is taken. That, my friends, is a normal morning in the Bronx, New York. Okay. Is this any less horrifying than what was done in Annapolis, Maryland, later the same day? I don't think so. What's going on? Is America becoming more violent? Is that what, hap is, that what is happening? Well, in order to answer that definitively, I would need access to crime statistics. I would need access to some of the secret ways in which government agencies massage the crime statistics for their own purpose. You'll remember that the Parkland shooting situation was partially the consequence of some Obama-era um, uh, uh, legislation uh, that was designed to reduce the crime in schools. And what was their genius solution? That it doesn't get reported. And so if it doesn't get reported, it never happened. And they're able to point at this huge reduction in school crime during the Obama administration. So if I were to try and answer the question of whether America is becoming more violent, definitively in terms of data, uh, I would need to come up with all that kind of information, which I'm not really equipped to, to do. It would take considerable research on the part of, and I've got very wonderful people helping me, but at the end of the day, it would be a huge job, and the results would be questionable because these statistics have all been massaged by bureaucrats and uh, very – so – can we go just by a sense of, you know, what people feel? Well, that, that's also very, uh, very specific. If you live in one of the nicer small towns in America and somebody says to you, is violent crime increasing? You'd probably say, not that I'm aware of. If you happen to live in the Bronx and last Tuesday, last Thursday, you watched uh, poor Fernando Lovano having his life ruined, um, you might say yes. So again, it would be anecdotal rather than data-driven. So 
what can I say to the question of is violence increasing? Uh, my answer would be that it would have to be. It would have to be. So I can't tell you exactly to what extent. I can't tell you the rate of increase. I can't even tell you for sure if it is. But I can tell you that it should be increasing. Why is that? Well, because violence, violent crime, is a function of anger and impulse. And impulse and anger are controlled by strength of character, which is being taught to fewer and fewer children in America today. One fact that I think everybody knows, which is that since 1962, which as regular listeners to the show know, is an arbitrary date that I use for the uh, to mark the beginning of the most serious period of cultural and civilizational decline in American history, uh, I think everybody knows that the percentage of children born to single mothers, children who are going to be raised with no, without their father in their lives, everyone knows that number has gone up tremendously. And I think also people are familiar with incontrovertible data. Even, even progressive people like Harvard sociologist Robert Sampson say without any doubt whatsoever, and I'm quoting Robert Sampson of Harvard now, family structure is one of the strongest, if not the strongest predictor of urban violence across cities in the United States. Right? And so even a progressive like a Harvard sociologist says there's no doubt whatsoever that children raised without a mother and a father in the family are of a far higher likelihood to end up as criminals. Now, no less an authority than Barack Obama said that, um, either just before he assumed the presidency uh, or very soon after. He, uh, he made a, a wonderful statement about the importance of families and the role of fathers and even acknowledging that children raised without fathers uh, are headed towards poverty and crime. But, of course, his policies, once he became president, his actual policies uh, did a huge amount to undermine the centrality of family. Um, Liberal cr criminologists like Michael Gottfredson and Travis Hershey, again, people who are, are part of the, 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 the Harvard Ivy League School of Academia, uh, these people have written, and again, quoting, such family measures as the percentage of the population divorced, the percentage of households headed by women, and the percentage of unattached individuals in the community are among the most powerful predictors of crime rates. I, these are not argumentative things. These are not debatable. If you really wanted to cut back on crime, it's not so much a case of removing guns as it is a case of making sure that children are not born to single mothers. I mean, 
Now, you can't say this, right? This is, but it's true. It's unarguable. It's there. Okay. All right. Well, what has all this got to do with the shooting in Annapolis, Maryland? I'll explain coming back in just a moment. But first of all, the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Um, you know, I, I know that the regular listeners of the show probably already know the website. You probably visit from time to time. Uh, newcomers, make a note of it, rabbidaniellappin.com. Uh, do write to me there, by the way. Again, I, I love hearing from people who listen to this show on, a, on any sort of basis, first time or regular. And uh, I love hearing your reactions. I love uh, hearing your, your response to specific topics or anything else on your mind. Uh, and I do respond, as, as many of you have discovered, I respond to a goodly proportion of the letters we get. Now, uh, if it's a long letter with, uh, with many complicated questions, I'm probably going to do no more than acknowledge the, the, uh, the letter. But other letters I do respond to meaningfully. So anyways, um, rabbidaniellappin.com is the website. And uh, make sure you are on our mailing list for one or two or all three of our weekly mailings. Thought tools, ask the rabbi, or Susan's musings. And uh, there are a lot of advantages in being on those lists and receiving those things. Take a look at them at rabbidaniellappin.com. And finally, a big thank you to all of you who continue helping to promote the show. The show's listenership continues to grow, which uh, I find very valuable because I'm stimulated by audience. Uh, I can't tell you how much easier it is to give a speech to an alert, attentive, and uh, vibrant audience than it is to speak into a microphone. That's a lot harder. But uh, knowing that at the other end of the microphone are now tens of thousands of eager ears, well, that works well for me. So those of you who've been doing such a great job winning us new audience, appreciate it very much. Quick break and back to you with the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show in just a moment. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. I want to make it very clear every time I am for somebody, it becomes a train wreck. So I am absolutely dead set 100% against Mike Lee for uh, a Supreme Court justice. In fact, I am not for anyone in the Lee family. It's good to know. I'll yes. tell my brother we're in good shape now. Yeah, yeah. You tell him. Glenn Beck said the last thing America should want is a Lee on the Supreme Court. And uh, well you watch the magic happen now. The Glenn Beck Program. Revealing how the world really works. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. We're back, everybody. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveal how the world really works. Now, I know that you know that that is my solemn purpose, but I just like saying really works. Yeah, really works. That's what I do. How the world... Well, all right, enough of that. Uh, let's go back now to uh, the, the uh, Capitol uh, Gazette shooting in Annapolis, Maryland. And I said, uh, I know why he did it. 
And yes, every time there is a shooting, yeah, I know we get used to hearing all those pompous progressives prattling about all gun control. But as I've just explained in the last segment, it makes as much sense. In fact, it makes considerably more sense to be speaking seriously about the destruction of family in America, which is something that has been absolutely central to the progressive project since 1960. Everything that can be done to undermine family and marriage has been done. And so, really, the blame for rise in crime, rise in violence, can be placed entirely at the feet of the leftist, liberal, progressive project, destroying marriage. Because one thing that is truly beyond debate, something which nobody can substantially defy or contradict, is that um, 90% of violent crime, that's right, 90% of violent crime is committed by 12% of the population. Single males raised without a father. <laughs> how, how much clearer does this all have to be? It is extreme, extremely unusual for a departure from that pattern. Okay, so um, that being the case, what did I mean when I said I know why Jared Ramos murdered five people in Annapolis, Maryland on Thursday, June 28th? What did I mean by that? Well, he did it because he wanted to. He was angry. He was resentful. But bottom line is, he wanted to. Why did Luis Rivera knock out an innocent passerby, Fernando Levano, fracturing his skull, changing his life forever? Do you want to know why he did it? What motive could Luis Rivera possibly have had? It's simple. He wanted to do it. Now, it sounds self-evident, so don't, uh, don't turn me off in disgust yet because I'm going to elaborate on uh, what, I, what I'm actually getting at here. I'm speaking about character. My friends, when we speak about character, what do we mean by that strange word? And it's a strange word because the overwhelming majority of young people being um, subjected to indoctrination in GICs. GICs, as you'll know, is the correct term for what used to be known as public schools. Uh, GIC is a government indoctrination camp. And today, in government indoctrination camps, you do not find the word character being spoken about, other than like, you know, oh, what a character he is. But the idea that there is such a thing as great human character and low human character is completely unacceptable because in order to be able to use the word character, you also have to be able to use the word values or value system. And as long as our society has decided that diversity and multiculturalism 
are the ultimate good. And we reject the idea of any value system being better than any other value system. It is impossible to speak about character. So let's spend just a moment, and, and I'm asking you to think about this for a moment. If you had to define the word character, what would you do? What would you say? Right? What is the definition of character? Well, it is, I know some people say, well, you know, character is behaving well when there's nobody around. Okay, I mean, that's, 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 that's valid, it's not, it's not wrong. But uh, more specifically, character means acting in accordance with the head rather than the emotions or the body. So we've got three areas as human beings, and, and this is not only, I mean, it's ancient Jewish wisdom, but uh, you, you could also get this from reading Shakespeare. If you know Shakespeare well, you'll see that Shakespeare clearly knows what I'm about to tell you. I know it from ancient Jewish wisdom, and then I got all excited when I discovered that it was in Shakespeare as well, and it's in other places too. But uh, uh, it's also, by the way, self-evident if you sat and thought about it, and then I said to you, so what drives human behavior? You'd probably come up with these three things as well. The one is, the first one is the head, right? It's the intellect. Uh, it's where our system of values is recognized, acknowledged, and validated. The second area that drives us is our emotions. And the third area that drives us is our body. And so it goes down. It's declining order of significance. Head, emotions, body. Okay, so uh, what happens if you're the sort of person who is driven by the body. So you are of low character, and it means you are going to eat without restraint, drink without restraint. Um, you probably uh, um, are, are, you know, it's possible you might even rape. You might even behave horribly towards women if you're a man, uh, because if your body's drives are compelling, you are of low character, meaning you, you lack the ability uh, or the desire or the will to restrain uh, your body's desires. So you are going to do those things, whatever, whatever your body calls for, uh, whatever your basic human appetites are, you're going to respond to. And, um, you know, I'll tell you something, and I, and I fully understand the pain experienced by people who suffer from addictions. I really, I get that, and, um, and I, I, I understand it. It's no, it's no joke. It is hugely compelling and tremendously destructive. I get all that. But at the same time, I think it's true to say that addictions are God's way of saying, okay, you wanted to let your body run your life, so go for it. That's what an addiction is. In other words, we are... Um, uh, we are pulled in the direction of responding to a bodily call, and uh, before very long, it becomes almost irresistible because human beings are creatures of habit. Whatever we do, we start feeling more driven towards. Does that, does that make sense? If you exercise regularly, the first few times it's really hard but I'm sure you've all experienced that the more you do it, the more into it you get. And so somebody else looks at you getting up an hour before you have to leave for work and uh, 
you do a, a 40 minute run or 40 minutes in the gym and then you take a shower and get dressed for work somebody looks at you and says that's amazing you know i barely can get up in time for work how do you do it well the answer is it was just as hard for me the first few times i did it but the second week i did it was easier and the 10th week i did it was really much easier and by the 20th week i was doing it i can't imagine not doing it and similarly um, somebody who yields to the body uh, becomes more and more irresistibly drawn in that direction. We call that an addiction. And so um, not reacting to the body requires character. It's not that easy. But that's part of what character means. How about, okay, you know what? You're one step up from that, right? You, you don't eat without restraint. You don't, um, uh, you don't have sexual addictions. You don't, all, all of these things are somewhat under control. And uh, however, you are emotionally driven. Wow. You might say, oh, well, I'm not nearly as bad. All right, never mind the comparison. But you have real problems because you are of low character. You are m driven by your emotions. So what are you going to be doing? Well, for one thing, uh, you will act on emotions of love and hate. You will act on emotions of anger and arrogance. You will act on emotions of greed, desire, selfishness. All of these emotions become driving factors in how you make decisions and how you act. So people, people who get involved in totally destructive and bad romantic relationships, but I loved her. Oh, she loved me. Okay. Uh, all driven by emotion, right? You didn't, your friend said to you, take a look what you're doing, man. Can't you see the problem? Okay, but when you're driven by emotions, it becomes very difficult to resist. Eventually, you become an addict to your emotions. Uh, anger, arrogance, and those two, by the way, in ancient Jewish wisdom, anger and arrogance are treated together. You know why? Because anytime you find yourself susceptible to anger, check to make sure you're also susceptible to arrogance. You know, think about it. Traffic is, uh, is slow. And uh, I didn't plan for it. I left a little bit late, and now I'm being held up by traffic, and I'm going to be late for my appointment, and I'm getting good and angry. That's also a statement that I'm arrogant. What I'm saying to all those people in the cars, who do you think you are? How dare you? Do you know who I am? You're making me late. <laughs> right? Anger and arrogance go together. Uh, when you exhibit anger, you are really betraying an inner arrogance. And um, the other emotions we act on, yeah, greed, selfishness. So um, what about uh, Louise Rivera, 22-year-old, who destroyed the life of Fernando Levano and, for that matter, his children, his family. Uh, he's now lying in critical condition in hospital in the Bronx. Uh, what, you want to know why Louise Rivera punched him out? The answer is simple. He wanted to. He desired it, and he went back and photographed it because he wanted a picture. 
that showed he had achieved his goal. This is just like um, it's not unknown for men who have um, carried out a successful seduction uh, to take pictures of the woman that, that show her at her surrendered ultimate. Okay. Why? Because it feels good. I indulged my desire. I did what I wanted to. And look, this is the result. It's, um, it's, it's, it's very, very tough to relate to this because on some level, uh, we're all a little guilty of this, not all at the same time, but we all understand very well what it is to be driven by the body. And even more than that, we all know very well what it is to be driven by emotions. And so, you know, uh, why did Jaris, Jared Ramos shoot to death five people in Annapolis, Maryland? Because he wanted to. Right? He was angry at them. It, it, apparently, he's had a long grudge with them. So what? Whatever it is, he was angry at them. In other words, we're talking about lack of character. So when you ask me if violent crime is going up in America, I say, yeah, it has to. I don't know the details. I don't need to know the details. But I can tell you it must be going up. Why? Because our effectiveness at raising a population of character, of high character, is diminishing. The number of people in the population who lack the ability to control their impulses, the number of people who lack the ability to postpone gratification, the number of people who can think about consequences when faced with what they want to do, like killing somebody else or assaulting somebody else, that number of people in the population is a diminishing proportion. But of that, there's no doubt. And so, therefore, violent crime must be going up, of course, because one of the consequences of a growing tendency to do what you feel like doing is to have children out of wedlock. If you followed your head, right, as a male or a female, you would say, you know what, there's no question that children raised by a single mom, likely to be poor, likely to be undereducated, likely to fall into crime, all of that is without question. My head tells me that all of that is true. So therefore, I'm not going to bring a child into the world who is not going to have a mother and a father, period. I'm just not going to do it. But since more and more and more of us are becoming Americans who, are, who just won't resist the call of the emotions or the call of the body, it's going to have horrible consequences as well. And so the catalog of calamity that constitutes the daily newspaper or the television news each and every day has a very specific cause. It's very simple. The cause is a diminishing of character in America. Is that the whole story? It's a good part of the story, but it isn't everything. I'll tell you more about that. But first, a reminder, please, to visit the website. Take a look at the uh, resource. It's an audio program 
called Boost Your Income. You can download it right away for uh, less than some people spend on coffee. And uh, you will be able to then uh, have it on your phone or wherever you, wherever you download MP3 recordings. And you're able to just listen to it. And honestly, you're going to want to listen to it four or five times at least. Not because it's so, you know, it's not, it's not beautiful poetry or, or magnificent music. No, it's hard, true information, which if you can successfully move from your head to your heart, can change your life. It's called Boost Your Income, Three Spiritual Strategies for Financial Success, and you will find it at RabbiDanielLappin.com. Back with you in just a moment. There's still more to come from Rabbi Daniel Lappin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. With stories in the areas of family, friendship, faith, and finance, this is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, only on the Blaze Radio Network on demand. Welcome back, everybody. The Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I cherish the opportunity of every week spending time with you Revealing how the world really works. You know, as uh, I think I told you uh, two weeks ago, I recorded the show, although I didn't say so at the time, uh, I recorded the show in the city of Rome, uh, where I was for a few days on uh, some personal business. I celebrated a family wedding. And uh, during that time, I became immensely aware of what the Imperial Roman Empire was and uh, what it achieved. I think I've, I've told you a little bit about, just a little bit about the things I saw. Again, I'm sure many of you know far more about Rome than I do. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going back. I can't say I'm sort of drawn back. Um, but what I saw was interesting. I didn't do a lot of running around, but I certainly did get a flavor of what an amazing structure that was. R the Roman Empire, in you know, about 2,000 years ago, um, it covered an area bigger than North America. Now, admittedly, part of it was the Mediterranean Ocean, obviously. But in terms of sheer distance, one could say that that is a larger feat than it would have been administering an empire of that area, which was like North America, one landmass where you can just build roads. My point is that no radio, no radio, no uh, internet, no telegraph, no telephone, and yet they were able to build an empire. Uh, you know, it reached from Egypt, uh, from present-day Israel, all the way in the other direction to the British Isles. How do they do it when the journey to those places from Rome has to have taken, at the very least, weeks, right? I, I would have to think weeks, at the very least. And uh, how did they do it? Well, partially they did it in a very similar way to the way that the Third Reich operated under Adolf Hitler. And that was the Führer Prinzip. Uh, in German means the, the Führer Principle. Führer is the German word for leader with a capital L. And the bottom line was that uh, everybody understood what Hitler wanted. Uh, Hitler, was, Hitler was not like any contemporary politician who says one thing on Monday and another thing on Thursday. 
Hitler was brilliantly consistent. If you, if you read the things he wrote in Mein Kampf, you know, long before he came to power, and you read or listen to his speeches, you know, in 41 or 42 or 43, uh, you won't hear any difference. He was absolutely consistent. Everybody knew what he wanted, and there was a, a system of each person being responsible and accountable to the person above him, the person above him. And this was, by the way, the uh, young, um, young people's youth organizations, the Hitler Youth, the Hitler Jugend. All of these things worked on the same basis, which is that everybody had a direct line up to the Fuhrer, to Adolf Hitler, and you didn't need to be told every minute what everyone was supposed to be doing. By the way, uh, modern Islamic jihad works in exactly the same way. Uh, Western governments like Canada, for instance, um, have somebody murdering, an, you know, a Muslim murdering people in Ottawa. And then they say, well, it seems to be an isolated incident. It doesn't seem to be terror related because he wasn't in contact with any other Muslim. He didn't need to be. They don't understand this principle that as long as an entire worldview is coherently consistently and continuously enunciated and everybody hears it again and again and again and it moves from their head to their heart you don't need to be giving everybody directions all the time and that's pretty much how the uh, ancient Roman Empire worked as well the principles of operation were very clear and the lines of authority were explicit, and they went all the way down, and everybody knew what they had to do and what was expected. So they didn't need to constantly be radioing or telephoning back to headquarters for specific information. There were occasional snafus, obviously, but by and large, that's how it worked. And uh, when that began to collapse through the corruption and, um, and lack of of character of the emperor structure and of the senate when it no longer became reliable that's when it collapsed but as long as the cultural message was consistent and continuous and was articulated reliably and all the time in that way the empire lost it and was able to last and the same thing is true for american civilization as well and, uh, and here I, I cannot help but allude to immigration in the same way that it has dramatically impacted Sweden and Norway and Denmark and Holland and the United Kingdom and Germany in the same way. Look, um, the great Austrian economist Friedrich Hayek said something really terrific, and, and this, isn't, this isn't word for word, but um, he said, look, um, we all, as, as human beings in a society and in a culture, we all, are, we all observe rules that we may not even be able to formulate coherently. Uh, there may be rules that we couldn't even articulate, but we follow them nonetheless. And, and he, has a good, he gave a good example. He said, look, watch a group of people sitting in a coffee shop. And they're relaxing and they're, they're chatting or, or maybe they're having a, a meeting, but whatever it is. 
watch and you will see the rules that, by the way, do not apply in a Turkish coffee shop or in an African village because people in that uh, coffee shop are effortlessly keeping all sorts of rules and they're doing it almost subconsciously. It's not as if they have a list of rules written down on the paper in front of them and they're constantly paying attention to them. No. Watch what's happening. They take turns speaking. They keep the noise down. They don't intrude on people at neighboring tables. They even give one another the benefit of the doubt all the time. We do it with each other all the time. And you understand that if if these rules all had to be articulated, and followed by means of sort of some kind of social policeman. Social life would be impossible. And it's equally obvious, I think, to say that a huge influx of outsiders who have never been initiated into these local rules can and will cause a massive disturbance for this reason. It's really important to understand that. And that's the kind of thing that we are dealing with as well. Um, And so what's happened is that as the rules have evaporated in a pell-mell headlong rush into the beauty of diversity and multiculturalism, what that has always been is people of different genders and and races all agreeing. There's no diversity. They all agree on the values of progressivism. And all the values of progressivism are focused on shattering those unspoken cultural rules that make civilization possible and that at one end make a get-together at the local coffee shop possible and at the other end makes the creation and maintenance of a great civilization or a great empire feasible. So it's really important. And um, again, character. We're not teaching character anymore because character means there has to be a value system. And since we've thrown out any values that do not revolve around tolerance, compassion, those aren't values. Those are sentiments. And so as uh, civilization declines in America since the early 60s, values have become more diffuse, like a wisp of cloud on a breezy day. The values become impossible to lay your hands on anymore. And without values, well, it's impossible to have character. And those values in America have always been Judeo-Christian based. Last week I spoke about a speech that President Grover Cleveland gave, no, it wasn't Grover Cleveland, I'm sorry, it was President Calvin Coolidge, gave at the opening of uh, a a Jewish center in Washington, D.C. in the 1920s, I think it was 25, Um, and he spoke. He spoke about how the municipal codes of towns throughout New England spoke about biblical rules, biblical values. So uh, we've got to understand just what is going on as we look around our society. Character is fading, which means more and more people are going to act in accordance with their emotions and in accordance with their bodily desires. And the result is going to be more 
illegitimacy, oh, pardon me, not supposed to use that word, more uh, out-of-wedlock births, more children born to single mothers, uh, with fathers absent, oblivious, vanished, gone, never to return. And, yes, more crime and more violence, no question about it. Um, you know, people argue, well, children don't necessarily need fathers. Two mothers works just as well. All right, let's not argue that point. Let's not say children need fathers. But what we can absolutely all agree on, because even progressives agree, society needs children to have fathers. Oh, yes, absolutely. And so um, we've got to remember, got to remember that... Uh, something I said a little bit earlier in the show, which is that for us to be able to fulfill our dreams, to be able to do the things in life that we intend to do and to make of our lives the things we intend making of our lives, we need continuity and predictability. And for that, we've got to have a growing population of character, not a diminishing one, right? I mean, that that is so very clear. As the number of people who are going to act emotionally and bodily, that means the, the, the society becomes more unpredictable, more frightening. And, uh, and there are many other things as well that fall into the same category. Um, it may not seem like a big thing, but uh, property rights. Right? Again, this has to do with character. Because it takes character to understand that somebody else's property is not your property. Because if you lack character, you're going to act on emotions and body. And your emotions are going to say, I want it. And you'll proceed to act in that way, in exactly the same way as you'll act on your anger. And you'll act on your impulses, regardless of consequence, because you don't, the, the part of your being that takes consequence into account is undeveloped. And so it's people with no character scream that property rights, you know, just have to do with greed. You want property rights, you're a greedy person. But the truth is that strong property rights, which the founders of the United States believed in implicitly, strong property rights are not an expression of greed. They are an impediment to greed, the greed of the state. The, the greed of a state that knows no limits to its power, government power, that's where the greed is that diminishes or wants to diminish property rights. And as long as we've got a population increasingly without character, it becomes easier and easier for government to strip away the rights to property, which is exactly what terrified the founders. We also... Uh, do something else, which again is a function of lack of character. When you have a growing population with diminishing character, it becomes easier and easier for government to legislate on the basis of the exceptional, the basis of um, the, the, the individual person who is angry and upset and, uh, for instance, when you, when you discuss things like school prayer, everyone's, what about the child that doesn't want to pray? All right. Abortion. 
What about the woman pregnant by her own father? Uh, capital punishment. What about the person who was executed unjustly? What happens is, when you have a population, a voting population of no character or low character, it is possible for government to make rules by the exceptions. Remember, they used to always say, hard cases make bad law. That's what this means. But we make our law by focusing almost exclusively on the hard cases. I'm not saying these hard cases don't deserve consideration. They do. But only after we have already decided the primary considerations, whether public school prayer is essentially a good thing, whether abortion is right or wrong, whether capital punishment is justified or not, whether it's okay to deprive some people of their earnings for the benefit of other people. The rule of law has to first of all be established, and then we deal with the exceptional cases. And so uh, all of these things, and many, many, many more, that I don't have time to go into in this show, but we'll talk about in the future, all of these things are the consequence of declining character in the population. Declining character, well, that has a lot to do with uh, the way that religion has become a source of deep anxiety for progressives in the last 50 years. That's right. When you undermine religion, it becomes much easier to produce a population without character. Why would you want to produce a population without character? Well, if you're a progressive or a socialist, then you want all power centralized in the government. And that's far, far easier to do when the population has low character. Scary stuff, my friends, very scary stuff. And it is up to us, the happy warriors, to understand what is happening. Because if we don't understand what's happening, there's no way we can possibly stand astride the railroad with the oncoming railroad train and stop it. Because if we don't even understand what's happening, we stand no chance at all. So that's what we try and do here on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show each week. At least let's understand what's going on. Let's try and uh, analyze accurately and correctly what you read in your daily headline. No, I'm not going to speak much about the headline. I'm not going to speak much about the incident or the event. But we are going to talk about the permanent principles and the timeless truths behind the headlines. Our website is rabbidaniellappin.com. Visit, please. I appreciate it. And uh, you are able to do good for us all, you and me, by taking a look at rabbidaniellappin.com. And so until next week, I, your rabbi, wish you a week of good health and prosperity. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. The Blaze on Demand. The Blaze on Demand. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin.